So, hey, today we are, gonna, we are going to finish up Mark chapter 9. So if you have your Bible with you or your app, turn there or tell Siri to turn you there. Mark chapter 9. And we're going to wrap up uh, this little section. We will jump back into the Gospel of Mark uh, in January. We're going to be looking at some of the nativity scenes, sort of the characters of Christmas uh, during the three weeks leading up to Christmas. Next Sunday, my good buddy Josh Holly will be here. Tammy and I will be in Augusta, Georgia. Georgia, not golfing, but hanging out with uh, Caden and Nikki, my other son and daughter-in-law, and uh, celebrating Thanksgiving with them. Uh, They can't make it all the way back uh, on military leave. So anyhow, we're going to be hanging with them. So Josh will be here, so make sure this place is packed out and encourage my buddy uh, Josh as he comes. You know, this... Finishing up Mark chapter 9, this week I was reminded of why it's important that we would walk through the Bible, why we would take book by book, sort of chapter by chapter approach to studying God's Word, because I would avoid this section of the Gospel of Mark, because it's got some challenging things. You know, I heard once this statement, um, the essence of the Christian life is to behave contrary to human nature. And really, that's really the life of a disciple, isn't it? Following Jesus, uh, the call is to make hard decisions, forgiving unforgivable things, right? Uh, Laying down your pride and serving others. We're in a section of scripture, which is really part two of where humanity finds greatness. Jesus had just shared with the disciples now uh, a second time that he was going to be betrayed, he was going to die and he was going to rise from the dead. And they didn't have this understanding of what the, 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 the they didn't have a, a proper view of the Messiah. In their view, he's the Messiah. He came to establish an earthly kingdom. And certainly death was not a part of that plan. It was to march into Jerusalem. It was to establish the throne where he would sit on and they would eradicate the, the Roman occupation and that they would begin the kingdom of God there on earth. But Jesus came his first time to, to earth so that he could build a spiritual kingdom where he would die for the sins of the world. So this is the context of the scripture. Jesus shares, I'm going to die And then they walk on the road to Jerusalem as they're making their way to Jerusalem. And on the road, they begin to argue, the disciples. We talked about this last Sunday. Who's going to be the greatest in God's kingdom? The three disciples, Peter, James, and John, had just spent uh, an evening and a night where Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration was, uh, he, where he revealed his glory, where they said that, that Matthew describes his face had shined like the sun, his body was lightning like in appearance, and, and they got a glimpse as the veil was torn away, they could see Jesus not as this human being, but actually who he is. He's God who became a man. And so in their mind, man, we're, they're, they're having this discussion about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Of course, Jesus, as they got to the house, they said, hey, well, he asked, what were you arguing about? Well, they were all like, you know, little kids, like, well, we shouldn't have been talking about this in the back of the suburban. So, you know, then dad sits down and he begins to teach them a lesson. And it was like, guys, if you want to be great, if you want to be great, this is the path to greatness in my kingdom. Choose the position of last of all and servant of all. That's why I begin with that statement. The essence of the Christian life is to behave contrary to human nature. We think, first of all, we want to be, and we want to be served by all in our lives. That's just who we are by nature. 
And Jesus says, guys, there's a, a, uh, an upside down view of the way the kingdom of God operates and works. The path of greatness we talked last week is to live an other-centered life. It's found in service to others. John then brings up a, a, a concept or a situation as Jesus holds a child, says this is what it means to be last of all and serve. Welcome even the ones who are the outcasts in the world. The child, as Jesus held this child, he didn't like have him like in an arm bar or anything like that, like choking this child, but you know, he held a child in his arms. They were seen as property in that day. They weren't seen like, you know, we view our children in the 21st century. And, uh, and he says, if you welcome this child in my name, you're welcoming me and you're welcoming the one who sent me. Then John pipes up and says, Jesus, we saw a guy who was casting out demons. This is all sort of like the, the pathway to understanding greatness in the kingdom. And, and he wasn't, he's not one of us. And so we told him to stop casting out demons uh, in your name. G John says he didn't follow us, but Jesus says, but he follows me. And this was part of last of all and, and servant of all. This idea of that not only do you welcome a child, but you welcome anybody in your world, in your life, who actually is a child of God who's trying to serve him and to follow after him. And we talked last Sunday about how, you know, there's other churches in our community that it's easy to sort of take a, a pot shot at and like, oh, they're, they're doing this. And you know what, they're growing is because they've got this going on. You know, they're, they're giving out Bitcoin or something at their church or whatever it is, you know. Churches get territorial and stuff like that. Listen, even though they might not be stylistically like us or even sort of the theology that are, you know, non-essential theological areas, the non-essentials, maybe that we don't agree on, man, it's just crazy that they're, bar they're bickering about who's the greatest, and it still happens in our day as churches do this, and the world goes on uh, 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 in a, in a, 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 on a path to in a Christless eternity. You think about all the things that happen, political views, style, yet there's gospel-loving, Jesus-loving, Bible-teaching churches. He says, guys, we're on the same team. And then Jesus says, and even the simplest act of service for him, like a cup of cold water in my name, he says, it is seen and it will be rewarded. Remember this, guys. If a cup of cold water is remembered and rewarded, now we get to part two of the path to greatness. It's Mark chapter 9. It's verse 42 through the rest of the chapter. And Jesus says, after he said this about serving him and serving others, and even the small act of giving a cup of cold water to a disciple, he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. This sounds like the Godfather, doesn't it? <laughs> a little bit. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and to go to hell, to unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It would be better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It would be better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye then with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. 
You can see why I would avoid this passage if we were just teaching topical messages because, man, that's a lot to unload there, right? Here's this idea that Jesus is conveying. There is a serious nature and a cost in following Jesus. It's serious business, according to the Lord. Again, the context is the disciples who are thinking about rewards and greatness after their master, Jesus, had talked about sacrifice and laying his life down for this world. So again, Jesus is preparing his disciples. The character that you need in yourself to be an extension of my kingdom and to be a follower of mine is so vastly different than what we feel internally just as human beings. And if a cup of cold water, as he talked about in verse 41, is to be remembered and rewarded, so will causing one of these little ones, Jesus says, to stumble. We talked last week, the path to greatness is found in service to others. The three more things that Jesus brings up in our passage today that I want to talk about this morning with you. The first is Jesus talks about being sensitive to others and to not put a stumbling block in another person's path. The disciples and you and I are to remove any attitude or actions that would cause another person to stumble. Verse 42 is sort of a hinge verse. It connects the dots for us in verse 35 when Jesus talks about laying his life down, the disciples arguing about who's the greatest and about if you want to be great, be last of all and servant of all. And now it hinges to this next little section for us, right? This idea uh, that, that um, as, they, as they were arguing and bickering, the issue was that they, they, the way they viewed a child or even this other disciple who didn't follow them. He was a believer in Jesus. It could have been one of John the Baptist's disciples who's out there doing the work of the kingdom, setting people free. In verse 41, Jesus says, doing good for them will be rewarded. But in verse 42, Jesus says, and doing harm to one of these little ones, it will be judged. These little ones. It could be a child he's referring to, but more than likely it was a disciple who was a child of God, right? A child of God seeking to follow him. And to put a stumbling block is to put a snare or a trap, the idea, is in that person's pathway so that they're not able to actually continue following the Lord. Now, a millstone uh, the word Jesus uses here, Mark tells us about, it's 300 to 400 pounds. Can you imagine this, this mental picture right now? This big stone that had a center you know, hole so it could roll around on the grain and crush the grain so that they could actually you know, get the nutritious parts out of it and sell it or eat it or you know, make something out of it. He says it would be better if you put a stumbling block before a child or a follower of mine. It would be better that you put a chain around your neck and a 400-pound stone and drop you in the sea. I mean, talk about a mental picture, right? This is what I talk about. It's, it's like very, very mafia-esque, right? You know, sort of take a long walk off a short pier with, you know, cement shoes on, and uh, you're gone. Just like, boom, all the way down. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's serious stuff. Now, these are hard passages for us to sort of process and digest, but man, we have to ex at least explore them to see like, wow, Jesus is talking about like, you know, this isn't, 
you know, accept Jesus in your heart and then live the way you want to live. Live like hell the rest of your life, but then you'll end up in heaven. There's a serious nature to a following Jesus and to be a disciple. Remember back in a couple chapters earlier, he says, if anyone wants to follow me, it's open to everybody. They must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This is uh, a, a challenging passage. To stumble them would be cause them to turn away from following the Lord. You think about the people that have planted doubts in the heart of a child, like, oh, God's not really real, right? And you don't need to serve him like your mom says or your grandpa told you about. Jesus said it'd be better for them to be dropped in the sea with a weight that they couldn't hold up than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. The context is their exclusive attitude was placing this young person, a young disciple who is doing the work of the kingdom. And John, who's one of the elite 12, says, hey, you need to stop casting out demons in Jesus' name because you don't follow us like Jesus. You've not sacrificed like we have by giving up our livelihood and our businesses and following after Jesus. That's where this pride came from. And Jesus says, it would be better that you were thrown into the sea than to cause one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. Again, their desire for prominence and position. That's a good thing to process a little bit. Is there any attitude in me or behavior that I have that would cause somebody else to stumble, right? You know, damage could come from the things we say, but also the way that you and I would live our lives. How many pastor kids that, you know, have lived in America uh, under, you know, a a dad who preached the gospel, right, and preached living for God, but then didn't live for God at home, where you just look and go, like, man, like, why aren't you a believer? Your dad's a pastor. Like, well, (laughs) because that's exactly why, right? They say, why do people not go to church today? Well, there's two reasons. One, they don't know any Christians, and the second is they do know some Christians, (laughs) The behavior stumbles them, right? Paul teaches about putting a stumbling block in front of another person. Romans 14. Paul talks about like even eating. Is there any vegans here today? We have vegans. Don't eat my chili. It has bacon and beef in it. Sort of a blend of just delicious animals God gave us to consume and eat, right? No vegan. I mean, I'm not going to shame you, but it's like... Like you'll live longer than all of us. <laughs> we'll just get to heaven sooner. But I don't even know why I'm talking about meat right now. I'm so hungry. That's what the issue is. Oh, Paul's talking about in Romans, there were, there were you know, buying meat there wasn't like, oh, go to Save Mart or Trader Joe's or the meat market. You went to a meat market where those animals were sacrificed to an idol. And then that, that temple, you know, priest would take that meat because so much was brought to be sacrificed and sell it to the meat market, the one in Clovis. And, 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 and then a person would go there and buy meat. And then I would have a barbecue at my house and I'd invite the Smith family over and the Smith family would come over. And then Joe Smith would say, hey, 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 hold up. Were, were these hamburger patties purchased at the meat market where the idols, the idol worshipers sold the meat? And I'd say, you know what? I cannot tell a lie, Joe. Yes, they were. And then Joe would be stumbled. Oh my gosh, Pastor Gordon eats meat that was sacrificed to Zeus or some other god. 
And it would just cause him to go, I'm not saying Joe would do this, but because Joe would just eat it. He would just say, good, I'm glad. Get that discount. It, 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 the idea is that Paul's talking about, I would stop being a meat lover if me eating hamburgers would cause another person to stumble. Do you see the, the, the nature and seriousness of discipleship? Here's what Paul says. So let's stop condemning each other, judging each other because they eat meat or judging each other because they don't eat meat. He says, decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Would you be willing to stop eating meat if it caused somebody else to stumble and fall? I'm not saying that that's what Scripture would call you and I to do in the 21st century. But there are versions of what we do in the 21st century and our behavior that may cause some people to to stumble and fall. And the attitude behind it that is, well, listen, if they stumble, that's on them. When you say, God, I want to surrender my life to you, your life is no longer your own. You can take it back if you want to, but that's what Jesus is talking about here. You could see why I would want to avoid this passage of scripture, because this is some hard stuff. People that own businesses, and they're just shady. You know what I mean? Well, that's a gray area. You know, when you usually say it's a gray area, it's actually like black and white, <laughs> but just sort of like, you know, I just think of it more of a gray area. Is it illegal? Ah, what part of the nation are you talking about? It's shady. Or you gossip. You're a Christian and you're at work, and then your non Christian, you know, uh, coworker just hears you talk crud on people. Or, or just, just not behavior or words or language that's God-honoring. Or you're just harsh with people. Have you ever met just somebody who's just like, they're just, a, they're just brash and harsh and they're not kind and tender like Jesus. That, by the way, we're, we're on a journey to all become more like him. It doesn't happen overnight. But if along that journey you say, but you know what, Lord, you can't have that area of my life. Well, that's a problem. Someone's always watching us. I have a dear grandfather uh, who's since passed away. My grandmother, Grandma Jewel, married a guy before I was born. He was my step-grandfather. I remember I became a Christian like literally like about three weeks before uh, Grandpa Don passed away. I remember asking my grandma, you know, like I went... uh, to stay with her. She was uh, in a wheelchair. My grandpa Don was in a hospital before he passed away. And I went to stay with her. And I'm like, grandma, like, I just gave my life to Jesus last night. You know, my grandma's like super pumped and went and got me a Bible that I couldn't read, King James Version. And uh, I'm just like, I don't even know what this says, but I'm sure it's good. I'm just going to like rub it on my heart. Hopefully it'll get through. And, uh, and I remember asking like, hey, grandma, like, where's grandpa Don at? Like, where's he at with the Lord and stuff? And uh, she said, he grew up with parents that were, were like dedicated churchgoers, but physically abused him at home when, when they got home from church. And it, it wasn't a great way to pass along the faith to the next generation, if you would. Jesus says, it would be better that you have a millstone hung around your neck and dropped into the bottom of the sea than to cause a little one to stumble. You think about divisions in the church and hypocrisy in the church. 
And many new Christians come to a church and then they get disillusioned when they hear about just churches proclaiming just hatred. You know what I mean? And just unkind. Thinking that like we're all here today because Jesus is the most pleased with us. Like we got the, we got the Costco card, if you would, because, well, we're really living for him. And they get disillusioned. They say, man, I thought we we're supposed to be this loving group of people. The point was greatness. Jesus says, you want to be great? Be last of all and servant of all. And that means you'll be sensitive to others. Then he talks about us. You're sensitive and kind to others and thinking about them and their stumbling, but you're ruthless with yourself. Isn't it easier to be like ruthless with other people and then super easy on ourselves? <laughs> you, ever, you ever got busted like, oh, I don't know, like you, like you look at people and you go like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that they would stumble and fall in these kinds of sins. And then the Lord's like, oh yeah, look at you. And you're like, oh, it's not so bad on them. Now that I think about it. Jesus says, deal radically with whatever in your life that hinders you and trips you up. If we're saved, we'll combat sin in our life. When Jesus talks about severing a body part, and it would be better for you to walk into heaven with a missing arm or hand or foot or eye, one-eyed willy, there you are in, in heaven, right? He said it'd be better than that. He's not talking about physical dismemberment because you have another hand, right? You've got another eye. You've got another foot. He's talking about this, this contrast. Physical life is less than spiritual life. And deal with whatever you need to deal with on this side of heaven, because the sacrifice is worth it. Do be ruthless with yourself. Sin must be dealt with harshly and not to be excused. If we would be ruled by sin, we'll be ruined by it. You know, James talks about sin, talks about temptation. There were a group of Christians that James wrote to and said, hey man, like, uh, it's not fair. God's like tempting me to sin. That's why I keep stumbling and falling. James like, no, 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 Here's the deal. God doesn't tempt anyone to sin. But you and I, our temptation, it says in verse 14, comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. How many of you guys know that you are your own worst enemy? Like, you don't need any friends to take you to a bad place. You could do it zero to 60 in like four seconds. He says, it's within us. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to what? Death. A little stork hanging out at your house. You show up at home. Hey, guess what your sin has brought now? Oh, a nice little baby called death to all the good that God wants to do in our lives. He says, deal ruthless with the sin that you and I would be tempted to give into. And if you're a believer, guess what? You belong to the Lord. You don't have to worry about a passage like this and go, man, is this saying that <clears throat> if I ever sin and I'm not willing to really cut off my hand, that now I'm gonna be cast into hell? No, if you're a true believer, you are, your, your eternal security is in Jesus Christ. How many of you guys are grateful for that? You're, you're not saved because you, this is the path to greatness, not salvation. But a true believer, if you're really a Christian, you'll be miserable in sin. 
You'll be miserable because you know what you're doing is taking you away from God's best for your life. And Jesus says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, serve all, be last of all, be, uh, you know, uh, conscientious and, and, and considerate and sensitive to others, but ruthless with your own sin. He calls you and I to be serious about it and to cut off everything that would trip us up and cause us to stumble. So the surgery is necessary. These parts, they're valuable, right? Your hand, your foot, your eye. It's speaking of the way of life for us, where we go, what we do, what we watch. Yet that's a sacrifice needed to live free and to be great in his kingdom. And walking in sin will sideline you and I from serving the Lord. It's why Satan works so hard to trip us up. Jesus says, don't trip yourself up. It's the same idea, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There's necessary sacrifices. A severing, if you would, a gouging out of sin is vital to walk in victory. And it's your decision, Jesus says. You must tear it out. You have to cut it off. It's not your Bible studies group. You've got to make a decision. This is an area of my life that is toxic. I need to sever it from my life and I need to follow what the Lord is calling me to do. Here's a great question. Is there an area of your world and your life that you expose yourself to that leads you to stumble and fall? It might be a group of people that you hang with or the way you hang out with them that actually just trips you up. And every time, you know, as a new Christian, I became a Christian in, at 18 years old. The Friday night before I became a Christian, all my Christ, non-Christian friends were smoking pot and drinking beer out of a bathtub. Not out of a bathtub, let me rephrase that. They had a keg of beer in a bathtub with ice in it, right? Clovis West, football players, by the way, signed that, um, what do you call that thing, the integrity thing? That, yeah, it didn't really work very good for my friends. I got saved on a Wednesday night, and the next Friday night, I find myself going, now what do I do, right? What do I, I go to the gym, I work out, <laughs> it's what I did. And I knew that if I started going back to my friends and hanging out with them, that I would stumble and fall because chances are they weren't gonna do a Bible study the following Friday night. You guys, you guys are picking up what I'm putting down right now, right? And actually, many of them became followers of Jesus after that. Not because I didn't hang out with them. It's just, you know, you drink gutter water long enough, you realize it tastes like crap. So you're like, man, I need to give my life to Jesus. Is there something you need to sever from your life today? Is there a person that needs to be cut out from your life? And I don't mean treat them with harshness. I just mean you just need to make decisions. I think we all know exactly what's in our life right now as God's spirit would speak to us, this needs to be cut out. It might be an envious heart, a coveting heart. It might be a heart that's filled with pride. It might be bitterness. Right now, God is speaking to people's lives about forgiving something that feels unforgivable. Like that's an area of your life that will cause you to stumble if you don't become more like our Savior, Jesus, by the way, you're never more like the Lord than when you choose to serve like him or forgive like him. You have to cut it out. We're easy on self, we're hard on others. Jesus says you need to switch it up to be great in his kingdom. Sometimes we lose the battle. 
I'm so grateful for First John 1, 9. The Christian bar of soap. It says that when we sin, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Your forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ. That's the first verse I ever spoke on in my entire life because it meant so much to me as a new Christian as I was stumbling and falling. Guess what? It means so much to me as a Christian at 51 years old as I still stumble and I fall. But the call is to not excuse it. He says, man, get harsh. Be diligent with errors of your life that are causing you to stumble To seek to live a holy life should be all of our pursuit. And if it's not something that you desire, maybe you should be frightened a little bit from the things that Jesus says. Sobering what he talks about. To be dismissive of sin and excuse it is a dangerous sign. Now, he's not talking about physically cutting off your hand, right? There are some uh, early Christians that did that. They found themselves like struggling to get a ride. And it's like, oh, that didn't stop me from wanting to sin. (laughs) I just didn't have a hand to steal. But it's in my heart. Oh, yeah, that's the issue. Oh, Jesus wasn't talking about physically cutting something off. He's talking about spiritual killing stuff in your life. Paul talks a lot about it in the letters that he writes in Colossians chapter 3. The real issue is the heart. It's where sin gets a hold of us. It takes over our life. Warren Wiersbe says, sin to the inner person is what a cancerous tumor is to the body and must be dealt with drastically. And then Jesus brings up this concept of hell. Like, you know, it's not, it's not some fa- fairy tale. You know what I mean? Hell, according to Jesus, is a real place to be avoided at all cost. That's why he talks about like dealing with sin so much. Jesus believed in this real place. He talked about being cast into hell. Gehenna is the Greek word. There was a real dump in the area of uh, Jerusalem or outside of Jerusalem where they would actually sacrifice children to this god Moloch. Well, it became like the city dump and it was smoldering on fire. It was always on fire, you know, as they would burn trash there. That was the mental picture he gave to the disciples and to those who would read the gospel of Mark later on in all the gospels. Hell's not a temporary place, it's an eternal place, right? There's no neutral space. Well, I don't, you know, I'm not really following Jesus, but I'm not really like following the devil. Everyone is an eternal being. This is why uh, everything else the church does outside of sharing the gospel with lost people is like rearranging furniture when a house is on fire. What could be more important than seeing our kids know and love and follow Jesus? What could be more important than seeing our loved ones hear the good news about Jesus and the fact he died for them so that they could be saved? No amount of effort that could ever do, no amount of religious effort you could ever do could ever earn your way to God's kingdom. So the only other option is to have a sacrifice that's Jesus who went to the cross, took my sin upon himself, your sin upon himself so that we could be saved and free. Everyone is eternal. You will spend eternity in two spots, smoking or non-smoking. Remember those days? Hell was created for Satan and his angels. It's also been called the lake of fire in the book of Revelations. And when Jesus talks about their worm does not die, what is that about? That's like this idea, you guys, of uh, of regret, In Luke's gospel, Jesus talks about a story, a real story about a man who went to hell and he prayed in hell 
that, that Jesus would send, that God would send someone from the dead to go warn his brothers about such a place. And do you know what he had there? Regret. Think about what makes hell so terrible. Eternal regret. Rejecting God's grace and all the evils that were done. People say, well, why would God, a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't send people to hell. Your choices in life, your decision to reject God's salvation is what sends a person. He puts roadblock after roadblock after roadblock in a person's path so that they could avoid going to that place. Peter, or Paul tells us that God desires that all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Moses Sacrifice. He says in Hebrews 11, he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So there's sacrifice involved to be a part of God's kingdom. And the way to greatness, he says, not salvation, or we'd all be doomed, is making those personal sacrifices, being ruthless with ourselves. right? This last little part, so strange, right? Verse 49, for every one will be salted with fire. Salt is good. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. It speaks of, in the Old Testament, of sacrifices that were, that were salted, seasoned before they were offered up to God. And this last little portion, as he's talking about the path to greatness, they're saying, man, we're going to be great in God's kingdom. I'm going to be right there with Jesus in his kingdom when he sets up his throne in Jerusalem. And everybody's going to see how great we are. And Jesus says, you want to be really great? <clears throat> you become like me. As he stepped down from heaven and he took on the life of a human being and he made himself a servant of all. We'll get to it in the new year, John, or Mark 10, 45. For even the son of man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all. This, this third part of greatness is becoming a living sacrifice. He leaves us with this picture of, of this sacrifice that's salted by, you know, in the fire. Everyone willing to serve Jesus will become like him <clears throat> and will have to become a living sacrifice. Paul picks up on this in Romans 12.1. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you, yet let them, excuse me, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship him. Salt in scripture, it speaks of sacrifice. It also speaks of this purifying, sort of, uh, you know, preserving influence in our lives. As Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, right? We're to be this preserving, purifying Influence in the world will salt in our own lives is purifying to us. And when we live our lives as a living sacrifice, when we seek to have be great in his kingdom, like Jesus talks about, that salt will purify our lives and will be this willing sacrifice laid down for him. We'll be ruthless with sin, we'll be faithful to Jesus. And if we don't have it in our lives, guess what? We won't be any good for his kingdom. That's why he talks about if the salt is gone, what good is it if its saltiness is gone? Jesus began this time teaching with his disciples, stating that he would give his life as a sacrifice through, for others through his death. Now he's letting his disciples and us know that we would give ourselves as a sacrifice 
to others through our lives. He was a willing sacrifice. Paul calls you and I to lay our lives down. Even Jesus talks about this here, that we are a sacrifice. Guys, he says to them, I want to use you. I want you to be an influence for my kingdom when I'm gone. I want you to be great in my kingdom. The series of lessons that Jesus gave them, it was all on the heels of them arguing about being great and being filled with pride. And Jesus says, be servants of all. Be humble. Keep from tripping others up. Seek their well-being. Keep yourself from tripping yourself up too. Seek to live a holy life. Sever sin and gouge it out. Be serious about it. And give God your life as a willing sacrifice and he'll use it for his glory. That's what it means to be great in his kingdom. To live each day as a living sacrifice. That's exactly what he was talking about when he said, if anyone would follow me, deny self, take up the cross and follow me and you'll be truly great in his kingdom, he says. Seeking greatness like that would, as he wraps it up, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. That was the issue, wasn't it? They weren't at peace with each other. They're arguing about who's going to be great. They weren't at peace with another disciple who's out there trying to help people get free. And John tells him to stop because he's not a part of their tribe or their camp. He says, guys, if you're truly seeking greatness, there will be a peace and harmony among you. Because you'll all be trying to serve another person and putting their needs before your own. That's what it means to be great. A surrendered life is not looking for glory or reward, but follows Jesus, who, by the way, is the greatest and the greatest example to follow. He says, serve and give. Don't stumble others. Deal ruthlessly with sin and be a willing, living sacrifice, and you'll truly be great. I ask you this question this morning as we wrap it up. Do you have a desire to be great in his kingdom? Like, is this kingdom on your mind and your heart today? If it's not, let me fan that into flame in your life where you think, Lord, what really matters in this life? It's going by like that, isn't it? Isn't it crazy to think how fast this year went? How fast life is just, it just, man, I know when you're in elementary school and high school, it just feels like it's going so slow. It feels like just yesterday, my grandma told me, don't wish your life away because it goes by like that. Anybody who's, uh, well, you know, young, 51-year-old will tell you it goes by fast. So what are you really living for? Is this kingdom the priority of your life? Seek to be great in this kingdom. Another question, is there any area of sin that you need to attack in your life? Is there any sin struggle that you go, I know this is an area of my life that I haven't surrendered yet. Decide today that you're going to sever that from your life. It doesn't mean you won't struggle. It just means you're making a decisive moment in your life saying, this is no longer going to stumble me and I'm going to sever this out of my life so that I can truly live for him. It was Jonathan Owens who said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Is God speaking to some area of your life right now? Man, surrender it to him. And our team's going to come and lead us in worship, and we are going to enjoy meat because that's how God made us. Amen?
some of us. And uh, before we do that, man, I think it's a great time for just to do a little bit of, Lord, search my heart right now. Have you been stiff-arming God's spirit as he speaks to you about an area of your life? Area of pride, area of bitterness, area of lust, area of envy. You say, Lord, I'm going to surrender that to you. I don't know what that looks like for you to gouge that eye out, but I would tell you that it's worth the sacrifice. According to Jesus, we need to be ruthless with it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you once again, God, today for this opportunity, uh, Lord, that I have, God, to open your word. Lord, it's a privilege for me every week uh, to study your word, God, to share it, Lord, to the best of my ability. And I pray, God, my shortcomings, Lord, that you would overcome by your spirit and by your grace, Lord, and that, Lord, you'd help each and every one of us, God, to kind of chew on these thoughts today about what it means to be great in your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would help us to choose to be more like you this week. God, to choose that last spot, to choose to be the servant of all. Lord, some of us are going to see some family members that we avoid all year long, except for this week. And Lord, our hearts, uh, man, are going to get challenged. I pray that you give us a servant heart to see the people in our lives, God, that often we choose to avoid. It's just an opportunity to show you, Lord, how much we love you, God, as we become more like you. God, to serve, Lord, to be a living sacrifice. God, to make somebody else's life better and to encourage them. Lord, that we would honor you, we would glorify you, Lord. And we are so thankful, Lord, for the many, many blessings in our life, Lord. And we're super grateful for this country that we get to live in. Lord, where we uh, get to celebrate not only wonderful times with family members, God, but we get to worship you freely, Lord, in this public setting, God. Lord, we love you. Help us to become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.